the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. And now we're going to jump into part two, which is about 24 minutes, give or take. So moderators, thank you so much, of course, for the work you're doing. Please keep uh, your eyes on any questions. And we encourage everyone who's joining us right now to please ask, ask at least questions that are relevant to the topic. Don't tell me Hafs reading is not a good reading. I'm not talking about Hafs. I'm talking about Ramadan. Maybe you came to the wrong show. We're talking about Ramadan and fasting. Hafs is a whole different story, and we can deal with that at a later time. With that in mind, um, let's jump into part two. So uh, uh, I want to welcome everyone who's joining us right now in our uh, week number two or part number two of our podcast, Let Us Reason. If you are listening to this, you probably have listened last week to part one, which was part of a live stream that we are doing from our studios. And I do this all the time now. So this is no exception. We have two special guests, two former Muslims today, followers of Jesus, my uh, dear sister, daughter of Christ, my dear brother, brother Nasser, both of whom you are already aware of uh, from their own ministries and also uh, from the privilege that they've given me by joining me on my own live stream in the past, sharing their testimony and doing shows with me. And I hope that that will continue as well. Last uh, week or last part, if you wish, we were talking about just our own experience with Ramadan growing up as Muslims, how we behaved, how we thought about it, uh, what does Islam teach concerning that? Uh, right now, brother, sister, I want to uh, jump into how did you interact with the West when you were still a Muslim? For instance, when I was in the West uh, 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 as a Muslim fasting, I remember that uh, people at my company began to really uh, respect that and avoid eating in front of me and things like that. It's funny, when when I started to become a seeker of Christ, I stopped fasting they will actually give me the guilt trip and say, why are you eating? Isn't it Ramadan? And I'm like, oh, dear. <laughs> you know, they're paying attention. <laughs> so now, so let me start with you. Yeah, I can relate. <laughs> I can so relate to that. Yeah, because, it, you know, you go, I, and I don't know what, what your experience is like, brother, but like when, when we came to the U.S., we were one of the only Muslim families, I think, that we knew of in our city. And so, you know, in school, you know, I was the only Muslim student. And so uh, it was sort of interesting because I, you know, people didn't know anything um, about Islam. They didn't know anything, even what, what, what Islam was, like what Muslims believed. And so I was constantly, you know, getting questions from, you know, my peers, from fellow students and answering and, and explaining things and, uh, you know, trying to get uh, a special accommodations. Uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to be able to, uh, to, to uh, you know, pray you know, during the middle of school hours or to have a break and they didn't understand, well, why can't you just pray after school and, and try to explain that to them and then explaining Ramadan and explaining fasting and how important that was to me. 
Um, and, and I did find that uh, uh, a lot of people were supportive of the fact that I was doing that. Um, in fact, I think I remember some some Christian friends that I had um, almost feeling uh, like a little a little jealous, like, oh, I wish I wish we were, you know, as because I explained to them, you know, why we're fasting. It's all for these holy reasons. And we're honoring God and we're remembering the poor and all of this. And my Christian friends like, wow, we don't do anything like that. And and wow, you guys are, are so much more righteous than we are. And then that really, of course, you know, fed uh, the, the pride monster. And uh, and so then it became, again, like you said, a, a show off thing. And, and I really wanted everybody to know um, that I was fasting and I would go to lunch with people and then not have anything to eat or drink and say, oh, no, I'm fasting because this is like a holy month for me and I'm honoring God and, and making sure everybody knew about it. And uh, yeah, totally, definitely a different experience, but still playing to some of the same things inside of me uh, that the that this season plays to. Amen. And before I ask uh, sis, uh, daughter of, uh, of Christ, uh, Rob Christian, thank you, brother. And again, I, I'm sorry, brother, about the confusion concerning, um, you know, the uh, the show uh, for tomorrow. I wasn't aware, of course, of your kind response. So we will definitely be doing one uh, as soon as you and I uh, decide on doing a live stream. And the beauty about technology is like we can do it at any time. So thank you for your patience. Uh, daughter of Christ, uh, what about you? Um, when you are still a Muslim living in the West, as you stated, you lived, uh, you know, a uh, vast part of your uh, life in the West compared to living at least uh, in the East. Was that a challenge for you? Did you struggle with that? Uh, I did struggle with it uh, because I felt a separation from myself uh, um, with the kuffar, <laughs> with the unbelievers, especially during Ramadan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it was a bit like uh, Brother Nasser, uh, and I was the only one fasting, or maybe one of few fasting in class or at university. And uh, people say, "Oh, yeah, you're fasting. Oh, you don't even drink water, do you? Oh, wow, wow, that's amazing." And you know, the pride thing. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, we fast. We have the hardest fasts of all the religions. Yeah, all of you drink water. We don't drink water. Uh, yeah, we do it for the poor. That that was an excuse, but I knew that it was a lie." Because we didn't do it for the poor. Because if it was to do to we do we do it so that we feel what the poor feel, then why do the poor also have to fast? You see, I knew the main reason I did it was because Muhammad said. That's the only, if Muhammad didn't say, I wouldn't have done it. And the reason I was doing it is because it's obligatory. Uh, otherwise, I'd be going to hell. <laughs> it was fear of hell. That was the main reason. It was for, it wasn't for no poor people, and it wasn't to to honor God. No, it was because I was afraid of hell. <laughs> yep. Amen. Amen. Uh, we have a Muslim here by the name Sadiq who sends his regard to both of us, all of us, and says that we are ignorant people. Hey, thank you, man. Uh, I can see your uh, wonderful attitude during the month of Ramadan. Uh, I, that's what I appreciate uh, about people like you. They make our points very clear. So, Sadiq, uh, while we're talking, uh, go ahead and show me a simple evidence that the month of Ramadan was practiced by any other prophet outside of the false prophet of Islam. So while you do this, you know, use series, by the way, she's very smart. She can help you. While you do this, we will continue with our discussion here. So apparently um, there is also other holy months in Ramadan where the prophet of Islam encouraged people to fast those days. I'll use the 10th of Muharram. For instance, that was a big day for me. I, I would fast it and I will do everything possible to emulate what the prophet has done. Uh, daughter of Christ, did you did you fast uh, the 10th of uh, Muharram? I didn't, but my family did. Uh, my parents did. Ashura, right? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. What yes, about you, Nasser? Yeah, I think my family, I think we did also. 
Yeah. Now, do you know that uh, this... I didn't fully understand it. I just knew that we're... Oh, this is a day where you're supposed to fast. I don't even remember anyone ever even explaining the significance to me. I think it was just, yeah, we fast on this day. Oh, don't worry. Even the Prophet of Islam didn't understand it. So uh, I I can show you why. Uh, First, it was uh, the pagan Arabs like Quraysh and others were fasting this 10th day. I mean, by the way, uh, you and I, all of us, grew up believing that Ramadan is a holy month. Guess what? Not even close. There are four holy months in the Arab calendar, and Islam adopted those four holy months, which is the month of Rajab, the seventh, basically, the month of Muharram, the first, the month of Dhul Qa'dah, the eleventh, and the month of Dhul Hijjah, the twelfth. Did you hear me say Ramadan in any of them? All right. So, so we just grow up with these ideas that it is, you know, a holy month. It's not. It's not a holy at all. In fact, I've seen a lot of unholy things happen during that month, but let's not go there. Now, Muhammad assumed that that was a holy practice by the uh, prophet of Abraham, for instance, that that's what the pagan Arabs used to fast. Then he goes to Medina and he hears that the Jews are fasting also Ashara, which is also the 10th. And he assumed it's the same day and the same month. Little that he knew that that has nothing to do with Muharram. It has to do with the past, I mean, uh, uh, Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement. I mean, is this really a prophet that was sent by the same God who sent Moses, who couldn't describe to him the difference between the Day of uh, Atonement and Ashura, the, the, the tenth of the first month? Uh, you, you, both, both of you care to interact with me about this? Nasser, let's start with you. Oh, my goodness. Where do I start? So the last couple of years, uh, I have been doing, just in my own time, some studying of uh, the first century, just wanting to get a better um, grasp of the context um, of the New Testament, understanding what what first century Judaism um, would have looked like. And it's just every other day, you can tell my wife, I'm just constantly like walking in the living room saying, I can't believe I found another thing that Islam stole from the Jews. Like, and, the, and then they, they steal the form, but they don't understand the substance. They don't understand the meaning behind it, any of the symbolism behind it. And so they just take these forms and, and they shove them into the religion and they don't understand why they do these things or the importance. And, you know, when I, I learned, started studying like what fasting looked like um, in the first century, um, in the time of Christ. And, and Jews had, had two different types of fasts, a, a minor fast um, and a major fast. Um, you know, major fast would be something like what they would do for Yom Kippur, where you would do a 25 hours um, exactly. of fasting. But um, a, a minor fast they would do over a, a length of time, and they would do it. Guess mm-hmm. what? They would fast from food and drink from sunup to sundown. Sound familiar? Um, but this is the difference, is they wouldn't then spend the evenings feasting. They would actually, um, and, and the poor were not required to do this kind of fast, but people who had something to eat, you were supposed to take the meals that you were skipping and give those meals to the poor instead. That's, that's what the, the minor fast looked like. And I was like, oh, my goodness, wow. Like this is this is where it was taken from, uh, yeah. and and while wouldn't what would it look like, um, you know, for us growing up if we had actually practiced that, you know, instead of because like instead of spending you know maybe double our grocery bill for that month on feeding ourselves, what if we had taken the the majority of that money and actually fed the poor with it? Like that would have been actually a good work um, instead of you know, as I, our sister said, you know, going through the motions of this. Uh, you know, alternate eating and sleeping schedule so that we can somehow please God and, and not, you know, be, be punished with hellfire because we, we didn't change our, 
our daily rhythms for a month. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to turn my attention to some of the comments. Thank you again for those of you uh, for the super chats. Uh, we are really blessed by your giving. Thank you, the moderators, for keeping things under control. And Sadiq, um, regardless of whether you insulted me or not, please answer my question. Did you find any evidence that prophets in a Bible fasted a month called Ramadan? You still have at least 12 minutes to come back and prove yourself worthy in front of everybody. Remember, this is live. Everybody will be impressed by your knowledge. So come back, please, with the answer. Uh, Daughter of Christ, uh, what about you? Uh, yeah, it's uh, the same for me. Uh, uh, after the Lord saved me, I looked back and I, was think- I thought, what was I thinking? Uh, even though I knew those hadiths where Muhammad says specifically, oh, the Jews do this, let's not do that. Uh, the same as them. Oh, the Jews do this, oh, we'll fast because we love Moses better than them where I would, I would have expected the prophet of God to say, God told me, God told me to do this, not, not as a competition between him and the Jews. And it's the similar thing, brother, uh, another hadith where um, he heard a Jewish woman talking about torturing the grave. After that, then Aisha said, after that, uh, the prophet heard that, then he started asking for refuge from torturing the grave. He didn't know before he heard the Jewish woman. But I would have expected him to say, oh, God told me. Uh, it's the same thing with this fact, it's plagiarism, plagiarized, basically plagiarized from other religions. And um, that person, Sadiq, I, I would go further. I would say, who of, among the prophets ever faced Mecca to pray? That's right. Not just fasting right. or any other things in uh, Islam. And uh, speaking of that, thank you for bringing Mecca. I am going to do a brand new video series on uh, the pillars of idolatry in Islam. Uh, yes, you heard me correctly. It's the pillars of shirk. And I'm going to show that how these pillars actually point to a different God and point to worshiping objects, not worshiping the truth or the true God in spirit and in truth. So we will deal with that at a later time, and hopefully we will interact with you, uh, Brother Nasser, and also a daughter of Christ and others as well. Well, with that in mind, um, let's talk about the feast. We have still about 10 minutes left. Um, what, what was uh, your impression? I'm going to start with you, daughter of Christ. Um, what was your impression about the feast itself, the eating? Did you ever think like, what's going on here? Why do we fast during the day and uh, go overboard at nighttime? I didn't, uh, brother, because Islam had put my brain in the freezer. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <confirming> that. <laughs> uh, I, I think that now, but I just thought at the time, well, God must want us to do that for some strange reason, it pleases him that we just eat at night, like become, like brother said, nocturnal animals, just eat at night, sleep in the day. <laughs> we did. Basically, we just moved the meals from the day to the night. And instead of eating three meals in the space of 12 hours, we ate those same amount in the space of four hours. <laughs> uh, and we spent, Ramadan is about food. You spend so much money. People have to borrow. Poor people have to borrow and go into debt so that they can host these big feasts. And in, you have to invite others, other families. Otherwise, you'll be called, you know, bakhil. You know, you, you're tight if you don't do it. And some people can't afford all this, this big feast every day, but they have to because of Islam. It's all about show and about, it's basically like a festival where people just, you know, eat and be merry in the night and then sleep in the day. It's not fast. Yeah. Now, sir, you did mention something about that. Um... Uh, did, did it ever occur to you, for instance, uh, that, man, maybe there is something wrong with this picture or, you know, mm-hmm. just accepted it at face value and moved on with it? Well, 
I I sort of tied it, um, and I, I didn't pick up on this right away. It was over probably my teenage years that I started to, to think about it this way. But I sort of saw that that rhythm um, that happens during Ramadan as sort of symbolic of what this life and the next life are in from the perspective of Islam. Like this life is all about self-denial um, and, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, following like harsh restrictions on what you can do and what you can't do and when you can do it and when you can't do it, all of those things. Um, but then the next life after the judgment and in paradise, now suddenly there are no restrictions. You can do anything that you want. I mean, you know, we, whenever they would talk about paradise, about Jannah and, you know, in this life, we are forbidden wine, correct? That's right. But guess what? In Jannah, oh, yeah. all the wine you can drink, there's rivers of wine. I used to. I you know, used to in say, this life, wait. we are, are limited, right? In, in um, how many wives we can have. But in the next life, oh, my goodness, all the, yeah. you know, beings that will be fulfilling your, your lusts there for, for eternity. Um, and so uh, that's that Ramadan is sort of that, that same way. And so in the evening, day, okay, we can't eat or drink anything. But at night, now suddenly everything that was forbidden is now permitted. Now you can indulge and now you can overindulge because you've been repressing it all day long. And, and I sort of saw that, that same uh, cycle, like it's a, it's a microcosm of what, what Islam teaches is our whole human life is we have this whole life of repressing and denying. But then, oh, but if you deny yourself enough, then in the next life, you can have anything that you want. Amen. What about you, daughter of Christ? Uh, yeah, it's this repression thing is interesting. Uh, it's an interesting point, Brother Nasser, mm-hmm. I'm going to use it. Um, when I came to Christ, I realized I don't have to be repressing anything because the Lord Jesus Christ deals with that. You see? Um the Muslim thinking is that if you repress, uh, like you say, lust or desires or whatever, and then you basically just delay till another time, that's what Islam does because it, it doesn't change the heart. It doesn't. It can't cure sin, so it represses it until a later time. And it doesn't condemn it, really, if you think about it. It just represses it, it delays it. Whereas the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came into my life, uh, he, he deals with that. And when I fast, when I fast now... Um, I, I, I do it because I'm just, I don't want any distractions. I don't want any distractions from the Lord and from his word and devoting to him. Whereas when you fast as a Muslim, you try to distract yourself with everything, sleeping, so that let the time go, you know. Um, a lot of people watch a lot of TV, TV programs go <laughs> up, you know, the entertainment goes up because people want to get through the time. They want to be distracted from their fast. Whereas fast for us is focus, a time of focus, not distraction. Amen. Amen. And, uh, you know, uh, one thing, uh, there is a sister here by the name of Magdalena made an excellent point. She said, you know, and, and I'm sure all of us agree with, with her sentiment, is that fasting reminds us of the poor, right? I mean, we hear this, you know, why do you fast? Well, one of the reasons why we fast, it reminds us of the poor. I mean, it's interesting that we remember the poor only one month out of the year, right? <laughs> Number two, if we really remember the poor, wouldn't it be really generous of us to at least feed the poor the whole day instead of just uh, you know, certain uh, conditions when you cannot fast, you go and you feed the poor, at least to according to Surah Al-Baqarah, uh, that uh, those who are excused from fasting, one of the things that they can do to atone for missing the fast, substitute for missing the good deeds by feeding poor. If you read in Hafs, it's single, 
miskin. If you read in Warsh, it's masakin. Wow, that's interesting. But all that to say is that why do I have to remember them just only during one month? And why do I feast at nighttime and forget about feeding the poor in the first place? Second of all, Jesus was our example. And he set an example for us. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And Luke also added that in those days he ate nothing. Why didn't the prophet of Islam set an example like this? In fact, Jesus says that while he's with the disciples, they didn't need to fast. You know, I mean, he used that metaphor for wedding. that if uh, the groom is with you, you don't need really to fast, uh, but you need to fast when he leaves you. All that to say, we were never given a prescription about how fasting should be done. One interesting incident when Jesus told his disciples about a certain type of demon, this is this type, you know, basically requires fa- prayer and fasting. You know, it shows that fasting could be used also for spiritual, uh, uh, you know, uh, basically uh, battles and means uh, and so on and so forth. We have three minutes. I want to, I really would love to ask both of you a quick question. First, tell us about your fasting, uh, fast life, and what is your uh, word of wisdom for our Muslim friends, both of you? Go ahead, Nasser. Hmm. Yeah, so that that was something that I had. It it took time for me to to learn because I, when I was Muslim, I didn't really know any Christians that fasted. So I thought fasting wasn't something that was practiced in in Christianity. Um, but then, when I started reading the Bible, here I I, I find all of these, um, you know, not not just prophets fasting, but there there were occasions when all of Israel. Um, was called to fast and in certain key moments in in the story of Israel and and God, you know, uh, coming alongside His people and rescuing them. That He would call them, invite them to fast. And um, yeah, I think about the you know the fast of Esther during Purim um, and all these things. And then yeah, you get to the Gospels and you see um, not only does does Jesus does Yeshua um, practice fasting Himself clearly. But, you know, he, he teaches about fasting, you know, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. So there's this expectation that those who are, are following Jesus are going to be people of prayer. They're going to be people who, who are generous with their giving. They're going to be people who fast. Uh, and then, you know, we, like you said, we, we see that there's dimensions to fasting where it's not, um, uh, just about, you know, what, what, what is the purpose of fasting? Uh, is, I would say, uh, can be as different as how many different, uh, what are the purpose of prayer? Like there's intercessory prayer, there's worshipful prayer, there's prayer that's just about sitting and, and, and resting in the presence of God and listening to him. And I think fasting can be the same way. I think there's fasting that can be done, you know, as you suggested, uh, you know, in spiritual warfare. Then there, there is a fasting that's just, you know, maybe it's about, I just want to um, uh, hear God more clearly. You know, me personally, I, I, I tend to fast not during specific times of the year, but when I feel like the Lord inviting me um, to enter into a, a, a short season, a, maybe a few days, maybe a week of just really spending time with him and focusing on him. And I find that when I'm fasting, like a lot of the static of life and the distractions and all of that seems to fade away. I find my my thinking becomes clearer. My ability to discern the voice of the Lord becomes clearer. And so that I start to really love fasting rather than dreading fasting because it becomes an, an invitation for me to draw nearer to my Lord and Savior. Amen. Uh, Daughter of Christ, in 20 seconds. <laughs> I'm sorry to put you I would say, uh, It's okay. Um, I would say, what is, what is fasting and who is telling you to fast? If the person telling you to fast is not God, 
then there's no point in your fasting. And I'm telling you, the person who's telling you to fast in Islam is not God. I love Ramadan that. is a awesome. <laughs> uh, uh, Ramadan is is not. Um, uh, it, it was a pagan month of fasting. It makes a mockery of fasting. People cursed Muslims cursed more in fasting. And that's in according to Muatta ibn Marik, book six, hadith six, says, I never saw the people in Ramadan except that they were cursing the disbelievers. The fasting that Muhammad gives you, that model, is for Allah and he rewards it. While we fast, it's not for God, it's for it's for us to, to come closer to God, to repent. It's for our benefit, not for God's benefit. Yeah. And it isn't a month of feasting, it's a month of getting closer to God. And we do not curse, we bless. The fasting model that Muhammad gives you is not from God. It's a mockery. And please leave it and come to the Lord Jesus Christ and fast properly. Amen. Amen. And this is a good timing to end here. I'm sorry that we have to uh, finish uh, our second part of the podcast. Uh, You know, Brother Nasser and and Daughter of Christ, please stay for a few minutes uh, to entertain some additional questions. But I want to thank those of you who are watching this live stream and also those of you who are listening to our podcast. This is the conclusion of our podcast about uh, Ramadan and, uh, uh, you know, Muslim fasting. Uh, We will be talking about Mecca probably tomorrow with Jay, but uh, that's why I was thinking this way. Other than that, thank you so much, uh, brother. Thank, thank you so much, uh, dear sister, for taking the time to do this. If you can stay maybe for a minute or two, let's see if we have any additional questions for us to entertain. And then hopefully we will do a panel discussion later on, uh, you know, in the month of May with other brothers and sisters also from our background. Uh, everybody, thank you so much. Please, uh, you know, if you would like to join us again, we'll be back in uh, probably 10 minutes from now, give or take, with brother Anthony Rogers. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.